Good evening, and let's get started again tonight, looking in, as we do this kind of overview, review of the Revelation in chapter 14, and I put in the bulletin all the way through verse 20, but I think we'll probably be doing good to get done with verse 1 through 12 tonight, the eternal gospel of Jesus Christ. Now quickly in review, just to kind of get the wheels turning and the and the juices flowing, we have seen the rise of the first beast, the Antichrist, come out of the sea. Now we have seen the rise of a second beast come out of the land. That is to say, the false prophet and all of the mighty works, wonders, and signs that see we see him doing in the midst of the people. Signs that Jesus said, if allowed to, would even lead the elect astray. And have you know that what you see here is not smoke, smoke and mirrors, but instead a truly demonic spiritual reality. A false prophet has a power that is not his own, but instead he exercises the power of the first beast, power that is given from the dragon himself. And he uses it to initiate and maintain the worship of the first beast of the Antichrist. <coughs> Calls down fire from heaven. Animates the idolic image of the first beast. Initiates the mark of the beast upon all those who would follow him and causes all who will not worship the image of the beast to be slain. Here we see the grand career of the counterfeiter. Counterfeit of God's creation. Counterfeit of God's provision. <coughs> and the counterfeit of God's seal. And I would have you note, as we looked at in depth the last time that we were together in chapter 13, that it is not surprising that such a usurper, and that's exactly what he is, as we see out of Isaiah chapter 14, verses 13 through 14, not a being with an original thought in his mind, but instead one that would supplant and usurp the living God that created him, that it's not surprising that such a usurper would not attempt to be himself, but a copy, a fake, and a counterfeit of that which he truly desires to be. What we see here is Satan attempting to counterfeit the Trinity, to counterfeit the Godhead that he so desires to overthrow with the dragon as the father, the Antichrist as the false son, and the false prophet as being indwelled and empowered with the work of the Holy Spirit. And in light of the power of that deception, maintaining sound doctrine is critical for the true church of Jesus Christ. And indeed, it will be maintained by a remnant. For Christ Himself will maintain it. And so tonight, beginning in chapter 14, verses 1-5, through 5, we see the first fruits of that maintenance. Christ, and once again, we see with Him His 144,000 witnesses. His 144,000 martyrs. Revelation chapter 14, verse 1, it is written, and John says, Then I looked, and behold, on Mount Zion stood the Lamb, and with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven like a roar of many waters and like a sound of a loud thunder. And the voice I heard 
was like the sound of harpists playing on their harps and they were singing a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and before the elders. And No one could learn the song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. It is these who have not defiled themselves with women for they are virgins. It is these who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. These have been redeemed from mankind as first fruits for God and the Lamb. And in their mouth no lie was found, for they are blameless. This is the first time that we have seen these followers, this specific 144,000, all of them Jews, all of them, well, not technically Jews, all of them Israelites, 12,000 from every tribe, including 12,000 from the tribe of Judah. This is the first time that we have seen them in the Revelation since their sealing at the very beginning of the Great Tribulation in Revelation chapter 7, verses 1 through 8. And now we see them again here at the end. Their number is the same. They have the seal that is the same. The name of the Lamb and the Father is on their foreheads, and they speak as though with one voice. Recall back to this morning's sermon about the nature of a kingdom that eagerly endures in such a way that in harmony we are welcoming one another and being welcomed by Christ. Here you see it in its fullness. They speak with one voice like many waters loud as thunder. And the beauty of the sound of harps And they know a new song that no one knows but themselves. That's one of the things that, particularly recently, that has fascinated me about the nature of the kingdom is both its commonality and its specificity. Man, all salvation, if it's true salvation, is the same. We're going to see that tonight, man. This is an eternal gospel that is being proclaimed. It doesn't matter if it's Adam, if it's Noah, if it's Abram, now Abraham. It doesn't matter if it's Jacob, now Israel. It doesn't matter if it's Galilean fishermen. It doesn't matter if if it is Gentiles in the house of Cornelius. It doesn't matter if it is you born again at vacation Bible school or at church camp or in Sunday school or in a hot, sweaty bunk bed when you were seven years old. It doesn't matter. It is all the same gospel. It is all the same blood. It is all the same propitiation. And it was written in the Lamb's Book of Life since before the foundation of the world. Salvation belongs to the Lord. The Lord thy God. The Lord is one. His salvation is singular. That being said, the relationship that He has with His individual children and the nuances of their inheritance are as varied as the nuances and the uniqueness of the created individual children. And sometimes it's just you and God. And sometimes it's just a group of you and God. Here we see an example of that. Man, this 144,000, guys, they're a unique set. Man, they've got a song that they sing in the midst of the heavenly chorus that is only their own and no one else's. 
They sing a song. They know a song that you and I will not know. It makes me wonder what perhaps the Lord may have that's unique for me and for you. There's no lie in their mouth. There's no falsehood for they are blameless. They follow the Lamb everywhere He goes. And the reason that that can be said about them is because all of this happens at Mount Zion. And we're not talking about the Mount Zion here in Sebastian County, Arkansas. And we're not talking about Moriah in Israel that was nothing but a shadow and a copy of the full realities that are to come. We are talking about the Mount Zion. All of this happens before the heavenly throne, I heard a voice from heaven like the roar of many waters and like the sound of thunder. The voice that I heard was like the sound of harpists playing on the harps and they were singing a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and before the elders. No one could learn that song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. It is these who have not defiled themselves with women, for they are virgins. It is these who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. They have been redeemed from mankind as first fruits for God and the Lamb, and in their mouth no lie was found, for they are blameless. Looked and behold, on Mount Zion stood the Lamb, and with Him the 144,000. I heard a voice from heaven like the roar of many waters. They sang a song that no one knew but themselves. See, they're His witnesses. That's why they were set aside to begin with. This is why they were sealed. The Greek is martus. They're His martyrs. And over the course of the tribulation, how long it took, we don't know. But now as we stand at the very end and prepare to see the harvest of the earth and the coming of Christ, their witness has come to its full expression and its ordained end. They follow the Lamb wherever He goes. All the way to the grave. And here you see them having received a portion of their inheritance with great anticipation preparing to receive what remains. They are the first fruits. Because what's about to unfold over the remainder of chapter 14, remember, these guys are Israelites. What's about to unfold over the remainder of chapter 14 is going to prove to be the harvest of all of the living sons and daughters of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now comes the moment when the Gentile church has done its job, has endured until the end, has suffered well provoking the Jew to jealousy so that when he comes to harvest and they look on him whom they have pierced, they will be provoked to jealousy and the fullness of the harvest will come in. And you better believe, if you look back to your Old Testament feast days, that the first fruits will be with him. And indeed, they are. It's all the result of one thing it's all the result of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
chapter 14, verses 6 through 7, John writes and says, Then I saw another angel flying directly overhead. I saw another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation and tribe and language and people. And he said with a loud voice, Fear God and give Him glory because the hour of His judgment has come and worship Him who made heaven and earth and sea and the springs of water. And so here we're going to see a... Um, we're going to see a succession of three separate angels that are all proclaiming and commanding separate things. And here's the first one. And this angel comes flying directly overhead, proclaiming to the entirety of the world, to every nation, to every tribe, and every language, to every people. And what he is proclaiming is nothing less than the eternal gospel itself. Now, I try to, especially in Revelation, because you can lose yourself in it if you're not careful, I try to, to, to do only language studies that is absolutely necessary, but I think it's, it's necessary to point out here and then again in a little bit with the variance between anger and wrath, um, that the word here for eternal is aeneos. And so contrary to what the Western concept of heaven and eternity is, it does not simply mean a limitless supply of time. It doesn't mean that you just live forever and ever and ever and have one second after the next and after the next and one day after the next and the next and one week after the next and the next and months and years after the next and the next and millenniums after the next and the next ad nauseum. That's not what it means. It is something completely different. It means to be apart from time without beginning, not simply without end. That which always has been and always will be. Something that is truly holy in its nature. It's other than truly, fully eternal realities. Fully eternal eternal realities of this thought that go in both directions. Or probably more likely in all directions. We think of line as such a linear concept. Time is such a linear concept. The math teachers are nodding. This is something completely different. You know, dispensationalism has crept into so much of our thought especially as it concerns the things of the consummation um, and, and the, the receiving of our promise and our inheritance, um, that it has even affected the way that we think about the nature of the gospel. As a matter of fact, there is a very particular dispensational view that would speak of multiple gospels. That you have the gospel of grace, and and even if we don't espouse this, we often hold to it kind of by accident, kind of subconsciously, even if we realize it or not. You know, we've got the gospel of grace, and this is the gospel of of the church age. This is the good news of of the grace of God in saving sinners from a holy God's divine wrath and judgment. And when I tell you, you know, that the gospel is the good news of the grace of God in saving sinners from God's holy, divine wrath and judgment, everybody says amen, and we should. I mean, after all, in Acts chapter 20, verse 24, Paul says, I do not count, account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, 
If only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. But we often think of the gospel of the kingdom as being something different. Something that Jesus once proclaimed a lot to the Jewish people that the kingdom of God is at hand, but then kind of seemed to disappear from the proclamation in the church age. And you don't really see it again until this apocalyptic era when the focus seems to once again be the salvation of the Jewish people. We see the gospel of the kingdom often as the good news of the consummation of the kingdom and the coming of the king and the fulfillment of both the New Testament and the Old Testament promises. Stuff like Matthew 24, verse 14, where it says, this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come. I want to tell you what Scripture says is that the gospel of grace and the gospel of the kingdom are both exactly the same gospel and they are the eternal gospel of Jesus Christ and nothing less. Friends, there is only one gospel. There is only one good news. It's been that way not just forever. If you say that there has only been one gospel forever, you make a correct yet woefully inaccurate statement. (laughs) Because the one gospel has been for more than forever. It is from before the foundations of time. There's only one. Man, Paul writes adamantly to the Galatians in Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1. And and for context's sake, let's look at verse 68. Nah. Let's go all the way through 9. Verse 6. Paul writes and says, I'm astonished. He was astonished about a lot of the stuff that was going on with the Galatians. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting Him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Now I want you to understand that what he is saying here in the Greek, accursed is a kind translation. We don't have the youth in here anymore, so I'll just tell you what it means. It means let him be damned. And he's not cussing. Like he means it. in the technical, like let him be damned. Let it be damnation upon him. Like when it comes down to to the judgment, let it be the white throne for him and not the judgment seat of Christ if he comes to you and preaches another gospel. And then Paul says this, look, there's not another gospel. There's guys that are running around peddling stuff that have a sticker on it that says another gospel. And that alone is enough for condemnation. So it doesn't matter if it's a person that comes preaching this or an angel. Because they will come. 
And Jesus said so in Matthew chapter 24. Now we're fully off the notes. In Matthew chapter 24. Speaking of the very events that we've been reading about here in Revelation chapter 14, all the way up from the ceiling of the 144,000 to now when we see them here at the end in the closing near the consummation of the age. He says in verse 22, well, let's go with 21. For then there will be a great tribulation such as not been from the beginning of the world until now, no, and never will be. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Then if anyone says to you, anyone, look, here is the Christ, or there He is, do not believe it. For false Christ and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. Note, that's not possible. But if it was possible, they're that good. See, I've told you beforehand, so if they say to you, look, He's in the wilderness, do not go out. And if they say, look, He is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. Why? Because as lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Friends, when Jesus Christ comes a second time, you won't need anyone to tell you that it's Him that's shown up. Buddy, when the lightning comes from the east, you'll know it. And what happens next is the corpse and the vultures. We'll get there in a second. And there's only one gospel. And they say, oh, he's over here, he's over there, or this is new. Or Man, I have people, I had somebody that I really wish hadn't asked me this the other day because the fact, the fact that they asked me bothered me. I saw something on TV about maybe they found a lost book of the Bible. Friends, there ain't no lost books of the Bible. That's a bunch of demonic, apocryphal, Catholic, dime store trash that was written in the 6th and 7th centuries. It was only seven-tenths of a millennia too late. But this is what they do. Over here, over here, over here. No, friends, what you got about Jesus Christ is right there, right up to the moment that He Himself splits the eastern sky. And then you'll know it. Though there may be at times particular emphasis placed upon certain aspects of the Gospel, whether that may be the aspect of the kingdom or the aspect of grace, no one can ever separate the kingdom of Christ from the grace of God that provides for that kingdom. It has been that way since before the foundations of time. It will be that way after time has been dissolved. And here we see at the consummation of the age, the Lord send an angel to proclaim not any gospel, but the eternal gospel. It's interesting to me that speaking to the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20, when he knows his death is near, Paul speaks of the gospel which he is proclaiming as simultaneously being both the gospel of grace and the gospel of the kingdom. He says in Acts chapter 20, verse 24, I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus 
to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. In the mind of the apostles, the gospel of grace and the kingdom that was proclaimed is the same gospel. It is the eternal gospel. One gospel without change encompassing grace and the kingdom throughout all eternity. As it says in Revelation 21-27, speaking of the holy city, the new Jerusalem, nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Friends, if Abraham is to be in the New Jerusalem, and you better believe he will be, then the gospel must have been preached to him. And indeed it was. As Paul writes to the Galatians in chapter 3, verse 8, Scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. What does the angel say as he proclaims this eternal gospel? Well, he says some stuff that I think, generally speaking, to um, especially to kind of when you have those kind of dispensational tendencies that we were all raised with, most of us at least, I mean, I think all of us were to some degree. I mean, it's pretty much southern fried Christianity. Um, when, when you have those kind of dispensational tendencies, there's some stuff that when Jesus talks about the gospel, especially as it relates to the consummation of the age, that's you know a little disconcerting, right? I mean, he says, hey, listen, guys, there's going to be false prophets that come. And we're all familiar with that, right? I mean, even here in the South, we knew when you were a kid, um, you know, you knew when the Jehovah's Witness knocked on the door and had the watchtowers in their hand that, um, you know, you were supposed to be nice, um, but, uh, you know, don't believe the stuff that they're telling you, right? I mean, you knew that from the time you were like, you know, four, you know, four years old. Um, so we knew there were false prophets. We knew that there were people saying things that weren't true about Christ. Um, and I remember when I was a kid and... Um, and um, they built uh, the Mormon temple here in Greenwood, and like it was a big deal. I mean, people were up in arms and you know really, really upset about the fact that that it was coming in. We, we knew that there were false gospels. What concerns me the most is not false gospel that that comes under the heading of cult. What concerns me is false gospel that comes with what seems to be a legitimate church attached to it. That's what's really scary. But Jesus says, look, man, okay, there's going to be these guys. Don't believe it. If they say he's over here, don't go out. If they say he's down here, don't believe what they're saying. Because look, man, when I show up, you're going to know it. That's what he said. You know, like lightning comes from the east. When, man, when I split the eastern sky and come with my 144,000 first fruits, and according to Zechariah chapter 14, all my holy ones with me, when I come in that day, you're not going to miss it. Where the corpses are, there the vultures will gather. Now that's a little different. That's not what we normally associate with the gospel. It's not what we normally associate with the good news. That's not what we normally associate with with salvation. And yet, Jesus says it, and here's the fulfillment of it, and we see this angel... 
This one where he says, I saw another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, and language, and people. And what does he say with a loud voice? Fear God and give Him glory. Why? Because the hour of His judgment has come. Okay, that's one. One reason. Okay, so we want you to do two things. We want you to fear we want you to give glory. Okay, why do we need to fear? The hour of His judgment has come. Why glory? Worship Him who made heaven and earth, sea, and the springs of water. Fear and give Him glory because judgment is hand. Worship is at hand. Worship God because of His status as your Creator. Have you note the difference between obedience and rebellion? The rebellion that we've seen displayed in the first beast and the second beast, the Antichrist and the false prophet compared with what obedience to God looks like, the demands of the eternal gospel and their motivating factors are the exact opposite of the rebellion that provokes the wrath of God upon all men, according to Romans 1, 8 through 20. Why do you see the eternal gospel being proclaimed with a message to the earth? To the whole earth. Not specifically to his people. They know the eternal gospel. But to the whole earth, to all of mankind. All these guys walking around with the mark of beast on their hands and on their foreheads. Everyone. Jews that aren't yet saved but are just about to be. The Christians that are faithfully being martyred every moment for their witness. Because the gospel and judgment always go hand in hand cannot separate them. We love to. We love to quote John 3.16 without quoting 17, 18, 19, 20, and 21, which was the rest of the thought. We see it in Luke chapter 3, verse 1 through 9, Matthew 24, verse 9 through 14. Why do the gospel and judgment always go hand in hand? And as we've said it so many times before, and we'll continue to say it so many times after Friends, if you're going to be saved, if the good news of Jesus Christ is that you will be saved, it's because there is something that you legitimately need to be saved from. That's why. Matthew 24. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. And then all the tribes of the earth will what? They will mourn. Because friends, they're on the other side of the Gospel. When they see Him, it will not be their salvation that they are saying. For they have rejected and rejected and rejected. They have rebelled and rebelled and rebelled. They have slaughtered His prophets. They have killed His witnesses. They have spit in His face when all He did was hold out His hands into salvation, unto salvation to them all the day long. They will mourn. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And what will happen? Salvation. 
He will send out His angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather His elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. There are more notes for tonight, but I think we'll call it right there. Man, this Gospel is the eternal Gospel. Man, it, it, is, it is the Gospel of grace. It is the Gospel of the kingdom. It is the gospel of compassion and mercy. It is a gospel of coming wrath. Remember guys, this is the way Paul starts in Romans. Man, in the gospel of Jesus Christ is revealed the salvation of God and the wrath of God. Both of these things come together. This gospel hasn't simply been around forever. It's been around eternally. Friends, I will say to you without the slightest bit of doubt in my mind, and we'd be happy to sit down and do the exegesis for you if need be. This gospel is the reason that the creation as we understand it exists. That's why we're here. Is the glory of God in this gospel. And this is why angels exist. This is why men exist. This is why earth and stars and sun and and and. and and butterflies and lollipops and, and, and vacuums and radiation. This is why it's here. It's to be in service of the eternal gospel, a gospel that is being proclaimed boldly immediately before its consummation. And what a harvest it will be. Damon, you want to pray for us?